Biblical Foundations Academy International Audio Blog. This is your host, Keith Johnson. Of course, the BFA Audio Blogs, we've been going now for about 17 or 18 weeks. In the last couple weeks, we've had a, an uptick regarding people that are interested, uh, situations that we found ourselves in the midst of. I'm here uh, at the BFA Studios uh, recording this today. It's Monday. Normally, we would have done this last weekend. Uh, there's some folks that have been asking, why wasn't the audio blog of last week? And that's because we have been in the midst of a fire. I mean, a legitimate fire regarding the freedom to pray on the Temple Mount. The campaign, for those of you that don't know, we have reached our goal in one week. I told my friend, Rabbi Yehuda Glick, that if he could give me about three weeks, we would be able to reach the goal because I believed that there were people that were listening to the BFA audio blogs who would uh, come alongside not only with prayer, but with action. I have to say thank you to you all. We reached our goal. Uh, we're going to. We have already sent 100% of the campaign amount uh, to, uh, to to Israel for them to be able to bring people around Israel to the Temple Mount to pray. There has been an increase of numbers of people that have been waiting in line out the dung gate, literally uh, stretching out hundreds and hundreds of people that are waiting to ascend the Temple Mount. So the movement is taking place over in Israel, and of course here. In the United States, uh, uh, I'm able to do what I can do, and you've done what you can do. But there's a next step, and before we get to the next step, I'm here with the key maker, and he's going to get shocked when I tell him about this. I have made the blog uh, Apostasy Watch. That's right, folks. I have been on the blog called Apostasy Watch because there's a blogger who's asking a really important question, and I was shocked when I saw this. But he basically titles his blog Temple Mount Madness. And then he says these words. A, a, a bit of a ruckus was raised recently when an American evangelical pastor was forced off Jerusalem's Temple Mount by Muslim officials. Ever since Israel recaptured the Temple Mount in 1967, but inexplicably left it under the control of the Muslim Waqf, the site has been a point of contention between Israel and the Muslim world. Lately, evangelical Christians have gotten into the fracas, defending the right of... I didn't know that they called Methodist evangelicals, by the way. I, I'm, I'm shocked by that. The right of Jews to ascend and pray on what is considered to be the holiest site in Jerusalem. Then he drops this bomb. And I'm here with the keymaker. He doesn't know about this, but I'll start seeing him tap and he's going to do some research and find this and he'll be shocked. Upon hearing the story, my natural skepticism kicked in. I suspected the incident was a contrived stunt designed to publicize an upcoming Temple Mount conference. The presence of well-known Temple Mount rabble-rouser Yehuda Glick was my first clue. In fact, the pastor, Keith Johnson, recorded a video which was uh, played at the conference, quote, in a show of solidarity for the Jewish people, he began and ended his address in Hebrew and wished activists, quote, success from the God of Abraham as you continue your struggle to attain freedom to pray on the Temple Mount, unquote. Then he drops the bomb, folks. He drops a bomb on me. And I, I got to be honest with you, when I saw this, I was a bit shocked. Um, but I thought, you know what? He's asking a question. So let's see if we can answer it. He says, setting aside my concerns as a skeptic, I'd like to address what in my mind is a much more important question. Should people be encouraged? I'm sorry. Should evangelical believers encourage Jews or Muslims or anyone else to seek God at the Temple Mount or any supposed holy site? Should we wish them, quote, success from the God of Abraham, unquote, in their efforts to do so? Now, folks, when I got this, I just thought to myself, you know what? There really might be other people that are saying, Keith, what are you doing 
involved in this situation. Leave it to the Muslims. Leave it to the Jews. What do you as a Methodist have to do with any of this? And this guy's asking the question. And what are you doing wishing them success, the God of Abraham? Let me help this blogging skeptic answer this important question. Should I be encouraging Jews or Muslims or anyone else to seek God at the Temple Mount or any supposed quote-unquote holy site? Well, I guess it depends on your understanding of the importance of the Temple Mount because I don't see the Temple Mount as just a run-of-the-mill holy site. I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm in Israel, I'm always looking for uh, things beyond tradition. In other words, I like to go to places that when I can open my Bible, I can read in the Bible and see the place. That's why, let me say here before I get into the thick of this thing, uh, we're still going forward on the Signs of the Times tour. In fact, let me make an official announcement today. As this audio blog is going up, we have now are going to make public the the uh, the blog post about the Signs of the Times tour. Keymaker, can we get that ready right now? I'd like you, if you can make that thing public. We've got a picture. We've got dates. We've got information. Sign up right now. Get your spot. Get your reservation. Get it in. It's on BFAinternational.com. Go to the blog section. Am I right, Keymaker? If we go to the blog section, there will be a blog called the Signs of the Times Tour. Let me tell you, I am extremely encouraged about how many people I got a chance to meet uh, over in Israel that I think are going to make this tour even better than anything we've done before. The places that we're going to go, the things that we're going to think do, uh, what you're going to get a chance to see, and we're going to connect what's happening in the heavens and what's happening on the earth, and we're going to open our Bibles, keep our feet on the ground, look up, put it all together. It's going to be an amazing opportunity. For those of you that are concerned, it's just going to be, you know, uh, me trying to figure out uh, what the stars are doing. Now, it's not that. It's a Signs of the Times tour where we can combine some of that. Why? Because we've been scheduled, according to our tour company, they have confirmed that this tour, the BFA International Signs of the Times tour, is going to take place at the time where there's going to be a solar eclipse. <laughs> I can't wait. Right smack in the middle of the four blood moon mania, a solar eclipse. And you're going to be there with me. Bring your suitcases, folks. This could be it. <laughs> I'm excited about this. I hope that you all will consider that. We're going to know right away if this is going to be legitimate. I'm going to say about 30 days. I want 30 days to find out that we've got enough people to go forward on it. If we don't have enough people to go forward on it, then we're not going to play the game of trying to recruit people. If either you're interested or you're not, it's going to be next March. The dates are there. The information is there. The cost is there. It's always cheaper than everybody else. That's for a reason. I make it so that those of you that have access to other abilities to get to Israel, whether it's frequent flyer Myers gifts, maybe you have someone who works for the airlines, maybe you got a ticket that needs to be converted. We decided to make it uh, uh, the kind of thing. And because we have people from around the world who come, we don't want you to have to spend that extra whatever it is to go to New York and fly out of New York together. Rather, we meet you in Israel. And then that's why we're able to get the cost down. Hotels are great. Buses and transportation are great. Your host is going to be excited. I mean, I'm fired up. And every time I go back there, I just learn more and more and more. And uh, we're already working with the tour company, not only on some information, but some new things that we're going to do. In fact, one little thing, we've even got some people that have already committed to help us uh, get some information in Israel that uh, is going to be pretty doggone amazing. So what I love about going to places and opening the Bible is that eh, those things come to, to light. Now, I have to be honest. 
and tell you there are many quote unquote holy sites uh, in Israel that by biblical standards are nothing more than tradition. They're places where at some time there was an agenda where the tradition was to place it at a certain spot. In fact, you find some places in Israel where there will be two exact places that say they're the traditional spot for the exact thing. And you think one of them's got to be wrong. And then oftentimes, believe it or not, sometimes both of them are wrong. So uh, I've loved to do that uh, when I'm in Israel. But as it pertains to this being called a holy site, the Temple Mount, that's just not the case. If we open our Bible, it's very clear where it is that we are regarding the Temple Mount, where it is regarding uh, the biblical understanding of what happened. And I could probably spend the entire time talking about the history of the Temple Mount and its and its significance. But let me just give you a couple quick little pieces of information as we as we go forward. First of all, we know the Temple Mount itself, uh, that David, when he was in the old city of Jerusalem, um, he knew that after they captured the Jebusite city and, the, and uh, the city of David was built, that above that was where the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite was. David purchased that spot by revelation from God through the prophet. That place ended up being the spot where Solomon would uh, then build the first temple. And from there, you know, the history, we go into the second temple. And um, the thing that's interesting about this is that we can look at that spot. We can open up the Bible and say, yes. Now, this is what's also interesting. In many times in, in the land of uh, in Israel, there will be certain religious groups that will argue about a significant spot. What's interesting is that you have both the Muslims, the Jews and the Christians that would acknowledge that, in fact, this is the spot of uh, the, the major things that took place. Abraham sacrificing Isaac, David, uh, after he goes into the Jebusite city, Solomon being that place of the first temple. There's no question regarding it being the second temple uh, spot. And so we have all that information. There's some information beyond that that I've been kind of focusing on that uh, that I think I'm going to have to do something more on later regarding what actually took place on the Temple Mount. For those that don't know, uh, it's not like what we see today has always been there as far as the, the, the Dome of the Rock, the Golden Dome, and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Those came later as a result of the uh, Muslim rule in the land. Uh, we're in around 630 or so. Uh, the Sultan came and determined that this is where he wanted to uh, to place uh, the, the, the holy spot. Well, let me say something kind of interesting. I don't know if most people know this or not. Um, I have found something really, really, really interesting. Um, we actually have testimony that when the ruler came, uh, the person that he had with him as his closest advisor was actually a rabbi who was actually um, uh, converted to Islam. <laughs> and so when he came into Jerusalem, he looked at said, okay, well, where would be the best place to place uh, a, a holy place in Jerusalem? And the rabbi was the one that took him to the place up on the Temple Mount and said, here's where the second temple was. And then that's where they began to build. Uh, and that's where they declared that they were going to build uh, the mosque, the Dome of the Rock, etc. You can look into history on that. It really is a fascinating story. But what I have been focusing on is this just this issue of sort of I call it the disregard for the significance of the place. Uh, and I will tell you, um, it's going to get it's going to get interesting over here the next the next few weeks because of something that we have gotten ourselves involved in regarding this. And I'm sure there are going to be people who are going to continue to do exactly as the blogger did and say, well, what's the significance of this place and what does it matter? I say, let's go to the book. Let's go to the book and take a look at this. And specifically what I want to do is uh, I did a little study uh, in preparation on something that I had mentioned before. 
And for, for, for those that are sort of the real conservatives that would say, look, Keith, where's, you know, where's Jesus in this? Where's Yeshua in this? I love this verse in Mark chapter 11, verse 17. And I, w- I want to read this and I want to give you some context. Context is this. Yeshua is going to the temple and on his way into the temple, there's an area where it would have been the area for the Gentiles. Now, when I say Gentiles, these are God-fearers who do not match the requirements at that time to be able to go any further into the temple. They could only go so far, like the court of, maybe be called, forgive me, technically the, the area for the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles. And what was taking place is if you had people from different parts of the world who would come to Jerusalem back in those days, they might have different money. It's not unlike what happens when I travel to another country, I will have American money and I've got to I've got to exchange that money uh, to get the money of the land. So this would take place. People would be coming from, you know, different parts of the world and they'd bring their money, their silver, which was from this area or whatever. Well, what they were doing in the Temple Mount was they'd go into that area. They'd bring, hey, here's my silver for the temple tax or whatever. And they say, oh, we don't take that money. You got to go to the money changers. So they go over to the money changers. The money changers are in the area where the Gentiles are. And they say, okay, uh, in order for you to get the money for the temple, we're going to have to charge you another 15% or 10% or 20%. So imagine this picture now. Keymaker, imagine this. You and I are there. We're on our way up the southern steps of the, uh, to the temple, and as we're going in, you and I realize, okay, back now 2,000 years ago, okay, we're considered Gentiles, but we know this is the temple mount. We know this is the place that Solomon said that foreigners would come, and we've come to pray, and we go up there, and Yeshua's behind us, and he's watching, and he's walking behind us, and we go up the temple mount. We stop in the cave, the area of the, the Gentiles, and you've got your money from the United States, and well, back then, of course, there was no United States, but you know... Where are you from? Maybe you're from Spain. What do you, what do you think? Sp- Spain, and I'm from, uh, you think You think I was going to say Africa? No, I'm from like the area of Europe. And we come together and we walk, and he's laughing at me. We walk up and Yeshua's behind us. And then we go to the money changers. And the money changers say to us, Keymaker, hey, this isn't the money we take. This is the money we take. And we say, okay, we give them the money. And they say, that'll be another 15%. Yeshua comes behind. He says, what the heck? He gets upset. He turns over some tables. He upsets some systems. He breaks down some borders and he says, look, this place is not supposed to be this. In fact, his quote is, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. I love the verse in Mark because what we find in Matthew and Luke is that he does not add the phrase a house of prayer for all the nations. He just ends it with house of prayer. What I did this weekend is I took a look into Hebrew Matthew. And in Hebrew Matthew, something really interesting. And what I th- those that don't know that Yeshua is not coming up with this on his own. He's quoting Isaiah. And as he's quoting Isaiah, he adds the whole verse. Well, in Hebrew Matthew, guess what? It's not cut off, he says, for all the nations. But then he says, but you have made it into a robber's den, which is a, a, a an image of Jeremiah who talks about this this very thing it, that that basically what's happening is Yeshua is combining two verses. He's bringing Jeremiah and he's bringing Isaiah and he's saying, look, here's what it's supposed to be. And in Jeremiah, it says, here's what it's not supposed to be, a cave of robbers or a den of robbers. He combines the two things. It makes perfect sense back 2000 years ago. They would say, oh, he's lifting up a picture. This place is supposed to be a place of prayer for all the nations. I think it's so interesting. That that even if you go to the, the, the chief rabbis in Jerusalem today, they would say that the prayer of the Gentile at this place 
is as significant as the prayer of the Jew. That whether you're a person who comes from one of the tribes, when you get to this place, you're doing something really, really powerful. And, and, and the place is supposed to be a place of prayer. So, you know, when people talk to me about why would you get involved in this, I, I don't know if there's anything I could get involved in that would be much more important. Here's this place, the Temple Mount, which we know in the future, in the future, is going to be the place where Mashiach, where Messiah will reign. You ask anyone in Jerusalem, and when you talk about the Temple Mount in prayer, they think messianic. They think about what's going to happen in that day. So here I am as a Methodist, minding my own business. And I'll be honest with you, Keymaker, you, you're my witness on this thing. I've got some other people that were with me. My friends, Rich and Margaret, if you're listening right now, they were with me when this thing happened. I'm up on the Temple Mount. I'm, in fact, you know what? Here's what, okay, here's what we did. We did in seven minutes the background to what this guy is calling uh, 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 some kind of a, what did he call it again? He called it some kind of a stunt. We did a seven-minute video, seven minutes and 17 seconds, to give the background because I had people in the media that were saying, "This is what, how did this happen? How did it happen that you're on the Temple Mount, you meet this radical guy, you two are together, there's a conference, you end up speaking at the conference, you get kicked off the... How did it happen? We have created seven minutes of what I call uh, information behind uh, the inspiration of getting involved on the Temple Mount. Because for me, when I go to the land of Israel, there's one place I know for sure I want to be. I want to be at the place that historically, biblically, and prophetically calls me as a foreigner to do exactly what I've done. So I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna upload this thing at the audio blog. I want you guys to see it. I want you to see it. I want you to share it because there's, there's I'm gonna, at the end of this thing, I'm gonna kind of drop on you what's really happening. So we got Yeshua saying it's prayer place for all nations. We know what that means. We understand that 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 back then, two thousand years ago, there this certainly was was the case. Now here's what I've done, and let me just say right now, there's some of you that are going to be upset with me for this. I'm going to say you're going to be upset for me because you may not understand what's behind it. But let me tell you what's happened. We started the campaign, the Freedom to Pray campaign with my friend Yehuda Glick. We did the conference. There was a lot of interest. I don't know if you know it or not. In the last couple of weeks, some things have happened. A young man was up on the Temple Mount. He was just moving his lips. The Muslim Waqf saw it. They told the Israeli police, arrest him. He broke the rules. And it has continued. More and more people are going. I smell something happening. I think something's happening. So uh, we have been in prayer. Yehuda and I have been in prayer. That's right. And we've been asking the question, what is next? So we made a decision. We have decided to uh, to apply a little papal pressure on those that uh, that have some respect for the Pope. That's right. Legitimately, here's what we've done. For those who don't know, Pope Francis is on his way to Jordan. We have made a formal request to him to ascend the Temple Mount, which we understand that he will now do, not because of us, but we found out later that this was something that he was going to do. And we've asked him to bring the message of the freedom to pray to his friends that uh, have the Muslim background, to his friends, the Israeli government, because this is a two this is a two person dance. We've got Israel legally saying you can pray, but the security folks saying if you pray, it's going to cause uh, inciting problems with the with the Muslim uh, population. 
So we're asking the Pope to do something we think he's in great position to do. We're asking him to talk to the Israeli government and to bring our message on the freedom to pray. We're asking him to go to the Muslim religious leaders, including the Jordanian king, who, by the way, is over the waqf. It's his responsibility and for him to bring the message there. And then I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say something right now that no one's heard me say. Uh, I'm going to ask a question. Pope Francis, when you ascend the Temple Mount and when you bring the message that the rabbi and the pastor have asked you to bring humbly, will you pray? Now you think, well, that's a, of course, Keith, what are you talking about? Of course, the, I'm asking the question, will the Pope pray? If he prays, then I guess at that point, check me if I'm wrong on this key maker, the walk should get him arrested. He sh- they should tell the security of the Israeli police, the Pope's lips were moving, arrest him. Now, here's my point. Does that sound ridiculous to anyone else? Guess what? It's ridiculous for me as a Methodist to go to the Temple Mount and not be able to pray. It's ridiculous for my friend Yehuda Glick to go to the Temple Mount and not be able to pray. It's ridiculous for children to go to the Temple Mount and not be able to pray. It's ridiculous for the Pope to go to the Temple Mount and not be able to pray. The whole thing. I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. The whole thing is ridiculous. So we've decided to ask the Pope in humility if he'd be willing to do it. Now, for those that think we're kidding around, we actually sent a formal letter of request. We have actually been in contact with his Israeli contact in the land of Israel, and he has the Israeli contact has guaranteed us and told us your letter will be read by the Pope before he gets to the land of Israel. So I'm asking for some prayer, for people to be in prayer, because this could be a really a powerful thing. Not so much about us, but what would it look like if all of a sudden there was a change of what they call in Israel status quo. What Israel likes to do is they like to say these words, we're going to keep things status quo. And you know what? Status quo is not the way it's going to have to be. Ultimately, status quo is going to change. I'm saying now, when people come to the land of Israel, and let me be really radical, what I really think this is about, they're talking about they can't find peace. We can't find peace in Israel. We got problems in the land. We got people. Let's start for a peaceful path prayer on the place where God has set his name forever. What would it look like if I could be there and pray and my friend Yehuda could be there to pray and a Catholic could be there to pray and a Muslim could be there to pray. Now, I, between us, I mean, I got a great prayer that they could take. Look, I got a prayer that everybody could pray that would be absolutely phenomenal. It would be the prayer of Yeshua. That's right. I'm saying it. Why? Because the prayer that he taught is a prayer that any Catholic any Jew, oh my gosh, shall I say it? Muslims could pray it. Our Father in heaven, your name be sanctified. And the prayer in its original language, history, and context has been accepted by people around the world. I'm not pushing that agenda. I think it would be great if it was, but here's the point. It's time for us to get a little bit more aggressive regarding this issue. So we've asked the Pope. And he's going to be there in a couple of weeks and we'll see whether or not he prays or whether he bows down or doesn't bow down before the Muslim walk and those that have an agenda. Hopefully he will be the person that he says he is. His guess what his pilgrimage is called. Now, this is after we made this. this we find out after we decided to make to send him the letter that his pilgrimage is called a pilgrimage of prayer. 
So you guys check it out. Today we sent out a press release letting people know what we're doing. Everyone's aware of it because we're not going to let this campaign go awry. You guys have already done your part. We've met our goal. We're going to continue to our part. Let me end uh, with a, a great verse in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 41. Also concerning the foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, when he comes from a far country for your name's sake. For they will hear of your great name and of your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. And when he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name to fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. And I love the answer in 1 Kings 9.3. Yehovah says unto Solomon, I've heard the prayer and the supplication which you have offered to me. I consecrate this house which you have built and I set my name there forever. My eyes and my heart shall be there. So to my skeptic blogger who says, why would you want to do this? Why do you care? What, do you, what, do you, what has this got to do with anything? It's got to do with everything. The creator of the universe says in only one place, he has placed his name and set his heart and his eyes forever. We're in the thick of it, folks. The BFA is in the thick of it. I'm in it. And if you're listening, you're in it with me. <laughs> Keymaker, you're in this thing. Everybody's in this thing. Let's keep our eyes toward Israel. Something's happening over there that I think is amazing. What if we were to get to Israel for the BFA Signs of the Times Tour? And by then, we could ascend the mount, grab hands with one another, and pray together at the place where it says the foreigner's going to come. <laughs> the foreigner's going to pray and the heart and eyes of our God and his name is set there forever. In the meantime, here's what I want to do. I've invited you to the tour. I want you to pray about it. I've invited you to be a part of the campaign. You're already a part of it. I want you to take a look at this video that we did that gives the background to the entire situation. When you watch the seven-minute video, I want you to share it with somebody. Don't If you're not going to share it, don't watch it. No, I'm going to say this. To the VFA Audio Blog listeners, the last video we did, I think the number is 13,000, 14,000 people looked at the video of the short little presentation at the conference. I'm telling you now, if you're not going to share the video, don't watch it. But for those of you that will at least share it with one family member, one friend, one social media place, I want to invite you to watch it, see exactly what we're doing. For those that get a little upset with me about why would you ask the Pope, hey, listen, he probably been mad at Cyrus. Cyrus told the Jews to go and, and, and build the temple, and Cyrus wasn't, wasn't one of the people. When Nehemiah went to go and build the walls, he asked the king, look, I'm not dumb about this thing. The Pope has got a billion people <laughs> that follow him. And he's got influence with people that are on both sides of the fence. And I think a word of peace on him would go a long way towards us getting this to be a place of prayer for everyone. So in the meantime, here's the deal. We're going to keep working. If you'll keep watching. If you'll keep listening. If you'll keep reading. And if you don't, we're going to keep working anyway. <laughs> Until next time, this is Keith Johnson, your host in, in the thick of the fire <laughs> who's jumping in with me